I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's Psalm 121, which along with 122 and 123 are the Psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, August the 17th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Uh, We're still continuing our look at the life of David. We're in uh, 2 Samuel 18, verses 9 to 18. We're also looking at, at the life of Paul, essentially, at this point in Acts 23, 12 to 24. And in the Gospel, we're in Mark 11, uh, verse 27 through chapter 12, verse 12. So <clears throat> we're continuing in, in, in looking at Absalom's revolt against his father David. And Absalom had, had himself declared to be the king of Israel in place of David. And so now what we get, remember, is yesterday they had fought and David and his men had defeated Israel, which sounds very strange, but it's, it's this civil war that's been started by Absalom in order that he might consolidate his power and become the king. And instead, what's happened is that it turned into a rout. And so they lost 22,000 men of Israel that day because of Absalom's sin, which is also because of David's sin, because David's sin with Bathsheba was, was foretold by God that they would never, uh, he would never lack a sword in his household. There would always be enmity in his household because of his sin with Bathsheba. And so now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. He was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule <coughs> that was under him went on. So you can just imagine this insane-looking thing because we'd been told prior to this a few days ago in the readings about Absalom, the head of hair Absalom had and how much, when he cut it every year, how much there would be of it. It weighed you know, a lot of weight, and hair doesn't weigh anything. So um, he's suspended there, and it's a bizarre idea to even see this and so one of the men came and saw it and told Joab behold I saw Absalom hanging in an oak and Joab said why didn't you kill him I would have been glad to give you 10 pieces of silver and a belt but the man said to Joab even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver I would not reach out my hand against the king's son for in our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Etai the three commanders of the army for my sake protect the young man Absalom what he'd actually said was was deal gently with him uh, but but it's the same basic concept and so the man said on the other hand if I had dealt treacherously against his life and there's nothing hidden from the king then you yourself would have stood aloof in other words you'd have hung me out to dry you would have would not said a word in my defense if I had done something. So, no, I'm not going to do this. They, they know David's history. And then when David gets uh, bad news about people that he believe are, uh, believes are anointed, he, he doesn't handle that news well. And so this man knows. You know, nope, David said this. He said, deal gently with the young man. So if I'd run him through, it wouldn't have gone well for me. And, and if I'd been brought before the king, you, you would not have defended me. 
And so Joab said, I will not waste time like this with you. And so he took three javelins, went and found Absalom and thrust them into the heart while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. <clears throat> Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained them. You remember before this whole thing began, the, they wouldn't allow David to go out with them, with the army, because they said, look, that the only person they really want is you. So we're actually better off in battle, and so are you, if you don't go. And it was the same here with Absalom. It's exactly what, what, what Joab does here is exactly what the men said would have happened if, if they had killed David. <clears throat> and that is, well, let's stop. We have the prize that we sought. And so they took Absalom and threw him into a great pit in the forest and raised over him a very great heap of stones. And then all Israel fled, everyone to his own home. Those are the people who were following Absalom. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar that's in the king's valley, for he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. So he put this pillar up instead. He called the pillar after his own name, and it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. So so Absalom's revolt was doomed to fail. There had been so much prophetic words concerning David, but I, but I guess that Absalom thought David was vulnerable because of the sin with Bathsheba. And this thing had become known. And so Absalom now has been indulged, essentially, when he killed his brother Amnon. He's, Absalom, as well as all David's children, had been indulged and had not been disciplined when they stepped so far out of line. Amnon rapes Tamar. No consequences. Absalom kills uh, Amnon. Sort of consequences. He's he's in exile for a bit, but then he comes back, and David embraces him, and, and and there's no consequence for it, as far as that's concerned. And so, it was doomed, absolutely doomed to failure, because God had not chosen Absalom to put on the throne. And so there there is one though that's already been prophesied and promised to sit on the throne. And so so Absalom had no chance of winning this battle, and yet you can't convince people of that when they believe they have some sort of moral high ground and and can go and have gotten away with the things that they've done all these years and, and are charismatic sort of individuals. And, and that's exactly what, what Absalom attempted to do was, was he used the people for his own gain and his own ends. And David never seems to do that. But, but it happens all the time. You know, you've seen it in business. You've seen it wherever you are. You've seen people climb over heads, gather people to themselves for a coup attempt against uh, whoever the real leader is. I've seen it happen a million times in life, right? So then here comes Jesus. And it's the same thing that they're trying to do here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming to Jesus, and they're trying to, to um, take him down. They, they want to, they, what they need to do, what they have to do, is turn the people against him because they fear the people and they know the people are on Jesus' side. So he comes again to Jerusalem. He's walking in the temple and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and said, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? And, and what they're speaking about is overturning the tables of the money changers and driving out the sellers of sacrificial animals. And they want to know who gave you the authority to do that. And what they're saying is, is that um, uh, we are the authorities and we are the ones who give authority. We gave authority for those people to be there. So whose authority are you claiming to drive them out? Because we're the authorities here in the temple. 
and what we allow, you don't have the opportunity or, or the authority to do anything about. And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you a question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. If you want me to tell you by what authority I do these things, I want you to stand here and take a position one way or the other in, in the sight and the hearing of, of the people about John. Because the, the, the people went out to John. They believed his message. They received it, and they went out and were baptized for the repentance of sins. They accepted their, their guilt responsibility. And so what do you all have to say about that? Because John was doing things outside of their authority as well. And so they discussed it with one another and said, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why did you not believe him? Why didn't, why didn't you go out there? But shall we say from man? And they were afraid of the people for they held that John really was a prophet. And so they answered, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so he backed them into a corner because John was popular among the people as well. And as it said here, they believed John really was a prophet. And Jesus has already said to his disciples, Elijah's already come, and that was John. And so they're backed into the corner of, we don't. there's no good answer for us here. The people are going to be angry if we say that, that well, John really wasn't all that. It, that was this weird thing that happened, and, and it wasn't real. So people aren't going to like that. But if we say, then it's from, if it was from God, well, we can't really say that because, well, if we, if we acknowledge that it was from God, then we've got to answer to God for that. So Jesus says, well, I won't tell you about what authority I do these things either. And so then he began to tell them this parable about the man, plant, listen to all the man does. He planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it for protection. He dug a pit for the wine press. He built a tower, and he leased it to tenants, and then he went into another country. So he did everything necessary for this thing to be productive in every single way. He, he, he planted the vineyard, and then he built a fence around it to protect it against um, animals and, and people who might come in and take the produce of the vineyard. And then he dug a pit for the wine press, so it's prepared for okay now you've got everything you need to produce the wine from from the um from the grapes and then he built a tower which is a watchtower so that you can watch and make sure that no enemies are coming and then he leased it to tenants and then he went to another country so the man's done everything necessary for this thing to be productive and all they have to do is come and tend it and make the wine that's all they have to do and so when season comes whenever they they would have gotten the produce and they would have sold the produce then he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. It, that would have been the lease. That would have been exactly what it was. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent him another servant. They did struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. They sent another one and he they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed, he still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they'll respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They thought that this was the last line of defense. They would have assumed that the man was dead. And, and this would be the one. So the son now comes, and if we take it, then there's nobody left to claim it. So it becomes ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. <clears throat> what will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. 
Have you not read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that what he had told was the parable against them. So they left him and went away. It's, you know, that same thing. It sounds like an odd principle to think if we kill the air, then this land will be ours. But it's, but it's actually stuff that happens. It can happen in real life. Uh, at least in America, it can happen in real life because what you can do is if, if, if somebody owns a piece of property and then you go do exactly what was done here, they fence it off and all that kind of stuff, and you deny um, entry to the rightful owner as long as he doesn't assert his claim legally within a period of time, the land does actually become yours. But you have to take a lot of active measures in order to do that. Um, and so they've done all those things that would satisfy actually the legal requirements in America today would be that, that, nope, they're not going to allow you onto the property and all that. But they, So they had a reasonable belief that this could become their property at this point. But then the they have to give an ultimate accounting to the owner who they presume to be dead. And, and so Jesus is telling a parable that says, even though judgment is long delayed, that doesn't mean it won't ever come. And it's time, he says, for that to come. That judgment is about to fall. And they know it. They know they're the wicked tenants of the parable. And so they, they refuse to do anything about it. They, they know better. They know that, the, he, but he's also claiming to be the beloved son. That is a huge messianic claim that Jesus makes there. In the Acts passage, remember Paul was going to be tried, that, that he had been brought before the council of, of Jewish elders, and he, he provoked a dispute between the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they believed in, in some radically different things. They had very little in common except for the scriptures themselves, but the interpretation of the scriptures completely belonged to the Pharisees. The Sadducees basically just died out. There are, there are no, there's, there's no remnant of the Sadducees that continues all the Talmud and uh, the Madrash and all that, everything, all the Jewish literature, the sages and all that, those people would be Pharisaical descent, not Sadducean descent. There's not really any room in um, in Judaism for the, the Sadducees' beliefs that, that would have denied a resurrection and then also denied the existence of angels and other spirits. So, <clears throat> so Paul did that, and he effectively divided the council so that they couldn't bring any judgment against him. And the tribune, who had with the head of six... Um, cohorts of led by centurions and at this point in time a centurion even though it would indicate that it's 100 people there would be 80 soldiers at the time of, of the New Testament uh, a centurion would be over 80 soldiers and the tribune would then be over 480 so six uh, tribune or centurions would be under one tribune <clears throat> so when it's day the Jews made a plot after they had taken uh, Paul out and put him in the barracks and they, they weren't quite sure what they were going to do next, they were, some Jews made a plot and bound themselves by oath neither to eat nor drink until they killed Paul. They were <clears throat> more than 40 of them who made this conspiracy. They're, they're going to kill Paul. And then they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, along with the council, you give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine the case more exactly. And we're ready to kill him before he comes near. I mean, they perceive Paul as this great threat to Judaism, and, and he is a blasphemer, is essentially what, what they, why they're doing this. They believe that Paul has blasphemed against Moses and the prophets and, and denied them. 
even even while continuing to to claim to be a Jew. And so that's why they're going to do this. But why would the chief priests and elders go along with a plot to murder the man? Uh, That should tell you something. Can you imagine a church council deciding that today? Can you imagine 40 people coming to to the Southern Baptist Convention or, or, or a Presbyterian Convention or whatever and saying, hey, we're going to kill this guy because he's bl- we believe that he's blaspheming and we've taken an oath that we will not eat nor drink until we've accomplished our mission to kill Paul. But we need your cooperation in order to do that. And can you imagine that happening? You know, Can you imagine a Presbyterian council or a Baptist council or even an Episcopalian council saying, oh, okay, yeah, sure, we'll go along with that. Um, no, you can't. They're so corrupt, and it's all about power, and so they they are threatened in this place. And so, fortunately, the son of Paul's sister heard about this, and he went and told Paul, and Paul then sent him to the tribune, and he told the tribune what was going to happen next. And then the tribune dismissed the young man and charged him, saying, tell no one that you've informed me of these things. In other words, don't let anybody know that I know this plot that's out there and then he called two of the centurions and said get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as uh, Caesarea and the, the, at the third hour of the night which would be at midnight also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor and so there, there's these plots in all these all three of these uh, lessons today there are these plots um, that are hatched you know David David had said, deal uh, uh, gently with my son. And Joab then goes and does anything other than dealing gently with him. He, he, sh- he shoves three spears into his heart. And then the ten armor bearers that he had all attack Absalom as well. I mean, he would have been a mess what they did to him. And then in the gospel, we see there's a plot by the chief priests and the elders and the scribes against Jesus because he threatens their authority. When he does things and won't tell them the source of his authority, what he's saying is, I don't respect your authority. You don't have the authority here to stop me from doing what I'm doing, nor do I need your authority to do what I'm doing. And then here is the plot to kill Paul. And God, in every single instance, does what what's necessary and what 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 is right in all of these plots um but we've got to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves i mean you can't say that enough times we live in treacherous times but we always live in treacherous times and the church has to be paying attention we have to keep our eyes open all the time and we have to to remember who we are and whose we are we have to be willing to die if that's god's will we have to also be prepared to defend the gospel at all costs and we have to, to ignore sometimes civil authority when it's wrong. And we have to follow God's authority in all things, no matter what the cost to us.